0: You're about to watch an interview I did with Jordi Cortez. Now, Jordi is a Fox guru, he's great on suspension bike set up and it's a really really interesting interview now Jordy unfortunately lives in california and i live here in the uk so there was a bit of a uh, lag when we we're chatting and some slight technical issues but the interview is still good whenever it breaks up it lasts about five seconds something like that so make sure you keep watching because the line does come better when it does break up There's some really interesting things we talked about how to set up your suspension uh, big mistakes that people make all that kind of thing so it's a really really good watch so i hope you like it and make sure that you say hi and leave a comment to let us know how you found it, and I will we'll both find that interesting and enjoy. So to start, Jordi, how would you describe who you are and what you do for the few people listening who don't already know?
1: Uh yeah. So... <laughs> I work for Fox Suspension on the bicycle side and uh, travel to all the World Cups, sometimes EWSs, test sessions. And I work with our top athletes, basically trying to get them to win races so that uh, we can improve product and make things better for everybody.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I know you mentioned before as well that you do the dials series which is i think how i personally came across you because the dialed series on youtube is brilliant for for those what listening it's well worth checking out because you just kind of get an inside look into the pits of geordie and the rest of the team working on the pros bikes and it's really interesting because you'll see one rider come in and say oh it felt like it was bogging down or it felt a bit harsh and then you see how you sort of tweak it so from my point of view i picked up loads of tips and uh, my first question actually is uh about one of the interviews that you gave in diode you were doing a q a and a so you got asked what your favorite tool was and you said that you weren't really that bothered about tools. You just use whatever's lying around. But what you did say is that you yeah, the most important tool is your mind. <laughs> now I like to say that the most important component on the bike is the rider. That's the most important part. And I was just wondering what you view, your views were, whether you agreed, disagreed.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, at, at, at a world cup level, at least for a winning you can't really pick favorites. You can't have, oh, it's mostly rider. It's mostly bike. If you don't have all the pieces, you're probably not going to do well. That being said, if you don't have a good rider, you'll never do well. So it won't matter. It's, it's still sure. 90% rider. And that rider is probably 80% mental. And the rest is physical, natural ability and the ability to, to push your limits, which is still mental. <laughs>
0: no for sure i think you mentioned it then that when it comes to a pro level you've got to have all the parts you've got to have the right bike and you've got to have the right rider and mtb fitness or from my point of view i tend to work with your everyday rider if you like so the vast majority of people that i work with aren't your pros they aren't racing at least at a serious competitive level how important for people like that would you say the bike is would you say the bike's less important for your everyday rider more important or
1: I don't know. That's a a tricky question because uh, I think it's only important in the amount of enjoyment you get out of it. Yeah. For me, I'm so finicky that I can't have any noises. I can't have any creaks. I hate it when (laughs) things don't work. But that's not always a benefit. And it probably doesn't make me any faster on the trail. There's plenty of people on far worse stuff that are far better riders.
0: That's a great point. So I ride with my best mate Ozzy, quite a lot, and I like uh, I get really annoyed if my PSI on my tires are down a bit. Like I have to check them before every ride. If I'm two or three out, he's getting pumped up, and my mate will rock up and he'll do half a ride, and he's like, "I'm feeling a bit slow today." I look, at and he's got like ten PSI. I'm like, "How did you not notice?" It's anything. He just gave some the bike and ride so i think that's true you've got a for your everyday rider it's about knowing the individual isn't it Um, on to the next question kind of going on a slightly different tangent so here in the uk we're not quite as lucky as you in california in that we get a whole range of weather so it can go from freezing cold and snowy and windy right up to obviously nice sunny weather like it is at the moment Now I find, I tend to set up my suspension once and then just leave it, and I find when I'm riding in the colder weather, so it's colder out, you know, there might be snow on the ground, I find that the suspension feels harsher and I get a lot more feedback through the bars, and I think as well that's probably compounded by the fact that your hands are cold, your muscles are cold, your joints are cold. is that in my head is it all just coming from the body or in cold temperature does it actually make a dramatic difference to the how the suspension works how you how uh, compliant your tires are and things like that
1: it definitely makes a difference whether it's a massive difference uh i don't think it really is okay but It does increase friction, you know, it it increases the viscosity of the oil so they're thicker, they don't want to move. So you get more high frequency feedback. And that's kind of what you feel through your hands generally, is that always that first little motion of the suspension. And that's what transfers through. Once things warm up, if you're actually on a descent within 30 seconds or so you should be right back up to normal operating temperature okay so do you
0: think that you should uh, do you think that you need to tweak your suspension then based on the weather so somebody riding in zero degrees centigrade versus someone riding 30 okay so you don't think it's necessary then for most people
1: for most people no there's there's far more important things to worry about for most people which is uh, the the initial setup of sag and set your rebound and things that make the average ride better
0: if you're well, into it
1: thing. then go for it but
0: it's not for most people just ride it Well, I was actually going to ask you about basic bike setup later on, but seeing as you've mentioned it there, it makes sense to chat about it now. So, for, again, your everyday rider, like, and and in fact, I noticed I was watching the video, I think it was with um, Chaos Seagrave, I think it was, he was setting his bike up over Skype. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, that was a good one. For those yeah it was a good one I was laughing (laughs) but for that for kind of those watching or for uh, those listening to this podcast go back and watch that video because what what stood out to me was that I can definitely relate to him because obviously in your world when you're twiddling with knobs all day and messing around with high speed low speed and all the PSIs it's second nature to you like it's just it's easier but I think to a lot of people especially your everyday rider it can be massively overwhelming of how to change high speed low speed compression or your rebound and everything like that so what's a good what's the most important kind of bang for your buck if you like when it comes to your everyday rider setting up the suspension what are the things that they should do to to get the best reward without getting overwhelmed i
1: mean pressure is number one always if you if you don't have the right spring you're just shooting in the dark. There's no point in doing anything. You can't set any of the other settings without proper spring, which is pressure or a coil spring, however you want to do it. So check your sag. Um, The second would be volume, which is volume spacers to either prevent bottom out or to use full travel when you're not. And then we always go to rebound, which is the next most important. It's it's always a circular process, and it doesn't mean that you go through it once and you're done. It might mean that you do pressure, volume, rebound, then you go back to pressure again, then you do volume again, and then rebound. Uh, It's a learning curve, just like anything else, but there's not that many variables, really. If you just sit down and make yourself a little cheat sheet that has your pressure, your volume, your rebound. And what I think what I see most people doing is turning things without any thought process or any idea of where they're starting from and if you don't know where you started there's no way you're ever going to get into a happy place or get back where you were you just start turning things
0: cool so I track- you mentioned yeah you mentioned that thinking quite a lot of videos that you want to track it and then make one change at a time and record it is that right so you'll do a couple yeah. of downhills tweak something write it down do a couple of downhills tweak it right it down is that right
1: yeah, absolutely. And never, ever make changes first thing.
0: Okay. Yeah. Make sure that get you get yourself
1: one. used to it. Bikes are so different than any other vehicle because they're so, such a small percentage of, of the overall weight of the package. I mean, the rider is five times what a bike weighs.
0: Yeah, of course.
1: So your mood has a massive amount to do with how the bikes feel. You know, if you're a little bit tired or your hands are a little bit tired, suspension feels crap. And that's the first thing you're going to point at. It's never, ah, I'm just having an off day. It's always, ah, oh, my suspension's shit
0: yeah that's really interesting actually because that's something that i wouldn't consider and so really if you're going to be tweaking your suspension and try to really get it dialed you need to be doing a few downhills be out riding for a while before you start tweaking it because you could i suppose if you dedicated a couple of hours to tweaking your suspension it'd be easy to just rock up to a downhill do one downhill and then start changing things straight away but actually do a couple first and warm up
1: yeah we, we still struggle with that at World Cups of guys doing one run, coming in and going, oh, it's so harsh, I can't ride this. And you send them yeah. away, to
0: go do another I've got one. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you mentioned, because in the videos, it comes up repeatedly, doesn't it? That the riders are going out, doing the practice runs, coming back saying it's way too hard. And then you tend to drop it, tell them that they shouldn't be dropping it, but do it anyway. And then over a few runs, they sort of loosen it up. Yeah. so that kind of brings me then into another question i was going to ask you that's in that same kind of sphere so there's a couple of questions i'll ask you on that so first of all for a pro rider the difference between an average to good setup and the perfect setup is the difference between winning races or not like it can be several seconds which you know is 20th in the pack or first obviously for them it's massively important for normal riders is there a massive difference between an average to good setup and the perfect setup for the bike or is it small differences? I suppose, do you think they should be taking the time to really try and get it perfect?
1: The only reason you'd want to take the time to get it perfect is if it makes you happy because there, there's no perfect setup for trail riding. It you're riding such a wide variety of trails at different speeds at different tempos, whereas downhill guys are one track basically one line plus or minus you know a couple centimeters at most so they're able to dial in a perfect setup but if you're out riding local trails there's there's just no way the average setup is going to be the perfect setup
0: that actually answers the follow-on question to that, which I was going to ask about that. (laughs) But yeah, you just nailed it. You're reading my mind here. So you answered it. You should sort of have something that's good at everything then. So I'll often find like on my trails around here, you'll be riding something relatively flat or a steady incline to get there and your suspension can feel far too hard. But then when you drop into the descent, it feels great because you're going faster, you're flying down. So should people try and sort of, set up the suspension to tweak it towards what they want it to do best? Or should you, if you're an enduro rider, for example, for those people, should they be setting up the suspension? So it's great for the descent. So is there always going to be some kind yeah. of compromise?
1: I mean, if you're an enduro rider, you're still a downhill oriented yeah. athlete. So uh, as far as recreational riders, that's, yeah. that's up to you really. It is pretty horrible to climb on a bike that's set up strictly to descend you know body position the bike sinks in the back seat angle gets weird front end is light yeah but if that's what you're willing to sacrifice for good descending then go for it a lot of people get used to it i mean ews guys ride 36 pound bikes for eight hours a day (laughs) so obviously it can be done it just makes you stronger I think it partly depends on what kind of rider you are. You know, I have like a big 170 mil bike and you ride it completely differently. You don't stand up and sprint out of turns and hammer around, or at least I don't personally, like you stay seated, you're kind of conservative and then you pin it on the descents. And then I have a small, like 120 mil bike. That's much more fun. And it kind of, you just ride it in a different way. You stand up more, you accelerate harder and you ride flatter stuff faster
0: yeah I think one thing that I always pick up on your videos and the same kind of trend coming through here so you'll see a lot of people a lot of riders ask questions in Facebook groups so they'll come back from a ride and they'll say the fork felt really hard there what do I need to do and someone will always say definitely low speed compression definitely pressure and I always notice when I watch your videos and speaking to you now you always seem to kind of shrug and go well could be this, like, how does it feel for you? Like, there is no perfect setting. So would you say that it's very much an individual thing and you just need to tweak and find what works for you? Because that's very much what I get from talking to you.
1: Sort of. It's not an individual thing. Like, there is a correct way of doing it. Okay. There, There is a proper pressure. There is a proper volume. There is a proper rebound. That's not up for debate. Okay, You know, that's one of the first things uh, amateurs, rookies, uh, pain in the asses, they come (laughs) in and they say, well, I tend to ride it like this. And I'm, well, if you tend to ride it that way, beat it, go do it yourself. Like, I'm here to do it the right way, which it's not my theory. It's just the way suspension works
0: so if we if people were to go out and spend three hours watching your videos now you could probably get a pretty good instructional from you of the basics to get your bike set up right they do that as per instructions and then they go out on a ride and it feels uncomfortable would your advice just be then to just push through because the bike is set up right
1: it depends because again if you're doing short sections of a single trail you do tend to set the bike up to do that trail. Yeah. So for an enduro rider or a trail rider, you should kind of move around a little bit. And that's one of the big differences we do with testing EWS guys versus downhill guys is you do a basic setup on one track and you move them to another track and then you have them go pedal for
0: a couple hours. Okay.
1: And if all three of those work well, then you know you've got a good setup.
0: Right, okay. So, yeah. Now, that's good. That makes sense. I think it is interesting what you said there about there is a right way and a wrong way to do it because that gives us riders, I suppose, that don't necessarily have the luxury of working with someone like yourself and getting the bike set up, that there is, you know, that good baseline that you can definitely work off. So, let me just scroll back two seconds. Yeah, this one works well nicely based off what we were just saying. So... What are some of the common mistakes that you make? You just mentioned one there, or you mentioned a couple actually so far. One of them was, I suppose, stubbornness and saying, here's how I ride it and here's how I want to ride it. (laughs) And uh, a second one that you mentioned earlier as well was not recording everything. So just trying to wing it. So what are some other obvious mistakes that a lot of riders make when it comes to bike setup?
1: (laughs) There's a lot. Um, I think one thing is not focusing on things outside of suspension suspension is such a like a black art to some people even though it's i mean it is quite basic but there's so many other things involved there's grips there's lever angle there's seat position there's cleat position there's tires and tire pressure all these things contribute to the feel of your bike that I went out and rode three different sets of grips yesterday. And each run a certain set of grips was the worst thing I've ever ridden. It made my bike feel horrible.
0: Yeah. It had can, nothing
1: to do with suspension.
0: I can totally relate. Um when I changed bikes, I went I, I like quite thick grips so that give you quite a bit of cushioning. And when I went to some that were like really thin and you were almost die attached to the bar. Yeah. like that so yeah that's interesting actually when you go and change something on the bike say your grips or you know your stem angle your stem height sorry you know loads of different things like that should you then go back and tweak the suspension
1: yeah absolutely you should double check everything because any slight shift in weight of you changes how you're reacting to the bike so you can see it just if you just stand on your bike lean up against the wall and move yourself back and forward a couple inches, you'll see the bike move back and forth. That changes everything there.
0: Okay, that's interesting because I imagine, us us riders, I'm sure yourself included, we love tweaking stuff on the bike because it's fun, it's part of the whole sport. But actually, if we're changing something then, we should make sure that we go back and check the suspension. Because a lot of people will buy a bike, set the suspension up when they first get it, and then change loads more things and not go back to the suspension so that goes for everything does it if you change your wheels or change your grips just make sure that you check that your suspension still working right absolutely
1: and again it's like suspension suspension kind of gets a bad rap because it's the only thing people buy and ride and say oh it's not set up like this or it's not it doesn't feel like this people go buy wheels without a clue yeah you just buy them because they're cool they have a massive amount of influence on how the bike feels or handlebars. You buy bars that you think are nice, but you have no idea how they ride. And that's one of the contact points that is most critical. It's grips, bars, wheels, tires, all that stuff is an, an integral part of how your bike is functioning. And there's just, there's so little assessment of how all these other things go together because suspension's always there to blame. But it, any forum you go to people aren't bashing oh this bar was so stiff i couldn't ride it it was
0: always my fork sucks yeah so how do how do people actually differentiate then so if people are getting overwhelmed with thinking suspension's complicated and suddenly they have to then try and narrow it down to bars grips everything else how do they differentiate is it just a matter of experience and just the longer that you ride the better you get an idea of what works or is there a process you can do
1: i don't know if there's again it's the bike industry is so goofy there's there's not a lot of empirical data for a lot of this stuff it's all colors and just put things out (laughs) uh so yeah i hate to say this but you do need to kind of do some research and look through reviews and forums You just have to do it very carefully because they're a wormhole of terrible information. I mean, you mentioned it earlier. It's like the first comment on a forum is always like, oh, I know the problem. It's because of this. Or it's like, oh, I bought this fork and I'm feeling this. And the second comment is, oh, you should have bought this brand. That one's shit. (laughs) It's like none of them are really shit. They all work quite well. Yeah. And if you just take a little bit of time, you're going to be okay.
0: Yeah, it's so true. And I think, uh, obviously, experts in your own area, there there's, tends to be many different answers. So if somebody comes to you and says, how do I need to change my fork for X problem? You've probably got several different solutions to it. It's the same if somebody comes to me and says, I've got a pain in my shoulder. I felt it tweak slightly when I was training. It's like, right, well, it could be this, it could be this, it could be this, it could be this, it could be It could be several things, and generally you have to ask them five, ten questions before you can narrow it down. But on a Facebook group, people can come across as so definite that they know the answer that the person who doesn't know can listen to it. So. Yeah, I think it's people have their own areas of expertise somebody might be a lawyer for example who's asking for bike advice and they'll be able to spot bad lawyer law advice out there but as soon as you're asking about something you don't know you think the person who comes across with the most sort of definiteness in their answer is right and it's often just not the case I think the more experts you speak to in whatever field you realize that there's never just one answer it's always a one of several
1: yeah, I would agree. Nobody smart is ever going to tell you that they have the answer. Yeah. They're going to say, "What well, could be this?" Or I'd look at this or I'd look at this. But as soon as somebody says, "Oh man, it's this, just delete them, block them. it's not It's not going to
0: happen. <laughs> Cut them from your life. <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> so in uh, in another video that I watched, I've watched many of your videos, if you haven't guessed. <laughs> that's good <laughs> this is how I, that's all i've got right now this is how i do my learning <laughs> um i can't remember which one it is but you were talking about one mistake that many riders make is they try and tweak the suspension too much rather than riding it for or try to tweak the bike in general rather than riding it for a length of time and just getting used to how it reacts yeah. would would you agree with that would you think that you should just ride it and get used to your bike
1: you should after a certain point, right? I yeah. mean, you, you need to put in the basics and at least set those, those few parameters. But if, if one day your bike feels good and the next day your bike doesn't feel good, your bike didn't change. It's, it's you. So just settle down, ride your bike, and realize that what you did before is still there.
0: I mean, yeah, that's true. You just put slightly then. So I'm just going to repeat what you said. I just caught it. But for those listening, you said then that if your bike felt bad, if your bike felt good yesterday, but it feels bad today, the bike is not the issue. It's you. Is that what you just said? It was quite a choppy line. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's really interesting. And I think that's something that people can definitely learn from that because it's very easy to go out on a ride and start blaming the bike. But you, know, you, yeah. you nailed it yourself. Your bike probably changes very little day to day, but you very. change massively very little
1: i mean if we're talking six months and your suspension is not serviced and you ride three hours a day then your bike's changing but that's not really what we're talking about so if you set your bike up and the next day it feels crap it's not the bike
0: yeah That's really interesting so I think there it's a matter of making sure that you've got a proper warm-up process make sure that you ride for a little bit before you start checking it and that's where things like I suppose more my area of expertise if you like like training your nutrition warming up before you ride and all that comes into play and I suppose being in tune with your body and that's something that your pro riders very much are like they're very in tune with the bike but you'll see it a hell of a lot more than me they're also massively in tune with the body as well and understanding how they feel.
1: The good ones are, and the good ones can assess themselves and and realize when it's them or when there's an issue. Mm. But there's also huge egos and, well, ego, I don't know if ego is the right word, but I think it's hard for a lot of them to accept that it's a failure on their part. So they'll continue to push knowing that. They're not pushing in the right direction; they're just taking up time to sort out these other issues okay and and that's fine too you know however that that's a pro rider when we're talking about the difference between winning and not winning. that's okay for your average person. it's just not okay you need to you need to use some self assessment,
0: yeah, I agree so. I I totally agree. So I think for riders listening to this, when you head out, you're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days as well. And I think it's being kind to yourself on those days. Like pro riders... I'm sure they have ups and downs as well. But as a general rule, full-time pro riders, all they have to focus on is training, eating, sleeping. You know, of course, they have family issues and they still have those things, but their full-time job is to train. Whereas for your everyday rider listening who's got the nine to five, you probably can't expect to go and ride on your usual ride nights and perform as well every single time. You're going to feel amazing some days and you're going to feel bad some days.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, all of us do. No matter what you're doing. I mean, sometimes you just can't type. Sometimes yeah. you can't think. Like it, it happens with everything. But when you have something like a bike to blame, it's pretty easy to yeah. take it out on that.
0: It's like, yeah. it's
1: not me, it's that.
0: That's so true. And I suppose we all do that for outside of biking as well. It's always easier to blame something external sure. rather than blaming yourself.
1: Yeah. That's why gyms are nice because you, you just can't blame There's no gym equipment you can blame. It didn't change. Right. Yeah. 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 You either pick it up or you don't. And a bike's not that different if you think of it in the same way. It hasn't changed. You're either going to do it or you don't. And if you're not doing things the same way,
0: that's
1: good. I like that. If if your deadlift form is bad, you're going to get hurt. If your bike form is bad, you might crash and get hurt, but it's just going to feel bad.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. I suppose with a deadlift, the bar is the same weight that it was yesterday and you pick it up and you put it down. It doesn't change. You can't blame the bar. But yeah, with a bike, you can. Ah, that's really good. I like it. Well, what I did before we came onto this podcast is I asked on my Instagram and also in the Facebook group what questions that people have got for you. So I'd like to ask you quite a few of these questions that are directly from, from some Facebook followers. But before I do that, let's talk a little bit about the fox 38 if you don't mind so it looks sick but i'd like to know just a little bit more about it and i'm sure everybody would so what's the difference between the 36 and the 38 who's the fork for who should upgrade to it is it better than a 36 or is it just tailored more towards a certain kind of rider like tell us all about it the
1: 38 is tailored more towards a gravity influenced rider and it's kind of addressing Things that are getting more and more prevalent, like 170 mil, 180 mil 29ers, where big wheels, long single crown forks introduce a lot more flex. Bikes are getting better and better. Riders are going faster. So there's a few things that we had to address. One of them is stiffness and stiffness is definitely an issue the 36 was plenty stiff and is even stiffer this year and stiff isn't the end all be all but it's kind of being able to manage that stiffness in the proper way the big thing with the 38 is the air spring and we needed that real estate of the 38 millimeter legs to do some things with that air spring that make it a pretty special fork Um, We also changed dampers on both 36 and 38 to kind of narrow the range. People were able to get in a lot of trouble with the older dampers. If you didn't pay attention to where you were, you could definitely get it wrong. And we kind of took all the info we gathered from racing and figured out where those parameters were and narrowed it down so that you basically get that sweet spot in the entire sweep instead of being able to go way wrong either direction.
0: Got you. So, for people listening to this who are normal trail riders, would you say to be better on the 36 or the 34? This is purely for your bike park days, your full on enduro riders, or is it a bit of a trail enduro fork as well?
1: It's definitely a bit of a trail enduro fork as well. I think part of it will depend on how fast you are and how heavy you are. You know, bigger riders are going to put more forceful mm-hmm. inputs into suspension. So, then you might look at a 38 and the 160 travel, definitely the 170 travel, absolutely the 180 travel. But the 36 has been completely revamped as well, which a lot of people aren't talking about and I've no, I've seen a few reviews saying oh the 36 got some upgrades, but the 36 is completely new and it's got most of the features the 38 does including some things that people just have not seen before. Okay. And that stuff will kind of come out as the year progresses and people start to figure it out. But, you know, somebody in the 170 pound range riding a 160 mil trail bike, the 36 is definitely the way to go. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a phenomenal fork and it's 250 grams less. I mean, a decent chunk. And again, sometimes stiffness isn't everything you know if if you're a smaller rider riding this massively stiff chassis yeah all that translates
0: you feel it yeah of course do you think that people should try these things to a demo day and sort of try 36 try the 38 and what's best for you
1: (laughs) i do like i wish that was easier to do
0: yeah, but it's hard um, isn't it with different bikes and different setups.
1: Yeah, and you you know you'd need to go get the bike, figure out how to set it up. There's very few demos that are set up to actually cater to individual people. It's kind of just like this here, just go ride it. Yeah. This is your basic setup. And if if the product's new and everything's in good shape and there are some demo companies that do a great job then, yeah, you're going to get an accurate feel for the suspension or the bike or whatever. But most of this stuff is so clapped out that you just kind of don't even want to ride it. Yeah, yeah. You can can figure out fit and some basics, but you're not really going to figure out how those things actually function.
0: Yeah, that's true. I suppose if a bike's taking an absolute beating and going out and out and out, it gets worn down so fast, doesn't it? And the suspension and everything isn't going to be setting up isn't going to be set up right for you
1: yeah like and volume you know volume spacers in the fork and shock there's no way they're going to be changing those things for each person demoing a bike and that's a huge part of suspension setup so yeah it's like yeah you can do it but don't base your entire decision on it
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I find it interesting actually what you said earlier about the air pressure and then when you've set your air pressure to change the volume spacers. I think volume spacer is something that I've just started tweaking myself, but it's something that before you've said leave around a air spacer or take away an air spacer.
1: Yeah, I mean, it it all comes back to pressure and sag, right? You set sag first. Absolute, you have to do it. You can't get by without it. You don't necessarily have to stay at that recommended sag of 20, 15, 20 in the front, 25, 30 in the back. You have to start there. And then you go ride it. And if you're bottoming the suspension, you add volume spacers. If you're not getting full travel, you take them away until you're kind of in a in a good range and then you can start to adjust damping. But without that basic platform, you're just wasting time.
0: That's really interesting. I think a lot of people would set the, you'll know more than me, but I think they would set the pressure and then either change the pressure based on how it feels or then start to rebound because because obviously to set an air uh, volume spacer you've got to open the shock or open the fork up it seems more complicated so i think a lot of people listening will find that useful that actually when you've done the sag then look at volume spacers rather than tweaking your compression and your rebound absolutely
1: and uh, the shock looks a little bit more intimidating but they're still quite easy to do there's so many online videos of showing you how to replace a volume spacer that anybody that can comfortably take the shock out of the frame and look at it can easily replace a volume spacer
0: so for the next section i've got some questions from followers that i'd really love well i know they would love it if you'd answer so i'm just going to go through them one by one some are detailed some are quite short answers so i'd love to just hear your opinion on them so simeon says please can i have a small basic summary of where we should start in terms of maintaining your suspension
1: Uh, (laughs) yeah, that's tricky because generally the people that ask this aren't really qualified to do basic maintenance and there, there isn't a whole lot of basic maintenance. Uh, there is kind of the thing of hanging the bike from the front wheel while it's not being used, which can help the fork, but it's not really. It's not the end-all. Uh, the best thing you can do is just keep it clean and dry. Don't spray anything on it. Don't put any lubes. Don't put any silicones. Just wipe it down. Soap and water are not good. Cleaners are not good. Uh, any any kind of soap is going to get onto the stanchion. And then little, even if it's microscopic bits are going to pass that seal and little by little degrade performance. Uh, The best thing you do, yeah, just keep it clean and dry and then send it for service when it's supposed to be serviced.
0: That's really interesting actually. So somebody further on was about to ask you about that, but you've already mentioned it, so I may as well. So you said then don't spray, so things like muck off for example would you say don't spray the cleaner on the stanchions and don't spray the after spray on? I do both of those things. So you're about to change yeah. my, uh...
1: there's, you know, there's a couple products that are okay. There's like a suspension clean. That's fine. But again, you've got a seal and a stanchion and anything you spray is going to at least adhere to that seal and stanchion a little bit. A, a tiny bit of fork lube or the the gold oil or something like that is okay. But again, it's on the outside. It's going to attract dirt. In the long run, it's probably not a good idea. Okay. If, if you're a competent mechanic and you're doing lower leg services, which are incredibly easy and a, a decent thing to do in between real services. So what we do at World Cups is just dropping lowers, cleaning them, putting fresh oil in. And that gets you by, that keeps you top performance week to week.
0: That's interesting. So when a rider gets back from a ride, how should they clean their stanchions then? And bear in mind here in the UK, anyway, speak of, it can be dusty one day. Well, rarely. Most of the time it's muddy and sloppy. (laughs) I'm just thinking because for the past week we've had dust. The rest of the time it's definitely not dusty. (laughs) So how should they clean the suspension?
1: Mud's not a problem. Water and mud are usually totally fine. Yeah. You know, if you want to spray your bike off, go ahead and do it. Just don't just treat it like a bearing. You don't blow water straight into a bearing. If you have exposed bearings, you don't spray soap and cleaner all over them either. Well, I hope you don't. <laughs> that, that stuff is going to pass any seal. I don't care what it is. And okay. people that ride in the mud and wash bikes each time are probably just going to wear bikes out a lot faster
0: yeah of course
1: I, I i live in northern california so it does rain it gets cold we ride in the mud the only thing i clean is my chain there's no rubber there's no seals you clean the drivetrain out and then just put the bike away
0: that's so interesting so will your bike last longer and perform better for longer if you don't clean it properly because that's quite uh groundbreaking i'd say
1: that's, that's kind of one of my things. I don't know. The more you wash things to me, the more they wear out. And obviously, there's mechanical parts that are two pieces of metal rubbing together. Chains. Chains, cassettes. Mm-hmm. Those things need to be cleaned. I mean, the more grit that's in them.
0: Yeah, the more wear.
1: Yeah. Are you going to prolong life by keeping them clean daily? You know, if you're riding in the mud every day, is cleaning it in between those rides going to make any difference? I really doubt it. Because as soon as you hit a puddle, it's muddy again. Yeah. The grit's right back in there. Like, what are you saving? Maybe if you're riding an hour to the trail on Mm. the roads, you're saving that little bit. But I don't know. I, I, I still clean the chain. I clean the cassette you know little pedals and pivot points that aren't protected with bearings you can brush them off and put a little spray lube in there but i i don't soak my bike up scrub hubs bearings things like that i i just don't think it's gonna prolong the life of your bike
0: that's really interesting Um, i think you're gonna have two people listening to to this you're gonna have (laughs) one side of people who are cheering because they hate cleaning the bike (laughs) and you're gonna have the clean freaks who are like no blasphemy that's really interesting though
1: i mean if you want to wash your bike go for it but you're spraying soap on a bearing yeah unless you're riding a rigid hardtail and then you still have a bottom bracket and a headset
0: yeah
1: it's gonna get in there there's no way around it even the best seals are going to let something in and soap is designed to get in there and break grease apart
0: yeah of course so that's fascinating that's really interesting i think a lot of people will be uh, interested in what you just said there that was good um <laughs> mostly i'm just lazy i don't want to wash my bike either. yeah you've come up with a whole philosophy <laughs> just just to stop you from riding your bike from having to clean your bike <laughs> and now you're going to spread it so everybody's going to be doing it muck off shares are plummeting <laughs> yeah, exactly. you're going to be getting a hit list on you <laughs> yeah there
1: that could happen
0: <laughs> so an easier question for you to answer less um uh, what's the word I can't think of the right word uh, Thomas says will Fox be releasing more special colour schemes for upcoming forks and shocks
1: I don't know why Thomas thinks I would answer
0: that well, I thought there's was that same thing. In fact, in the comment, I said, he's not going to, he was in my group. I think I said, he's not going to answer that, but I'll ask.
1: <laughs> somebody, somebody messaged me a couple of days before the 38 launch and asked if I'd share any information about the 38. And, and I was like, why, why would I do that? Like, Do you not <laughs> understand the function of any of this stuff?
0: <laughs> but honestly, yeah. I don't
1: know. I don't pay any attention to colors. I don't really care. That's for marketing people. All my stuff's black for the most part. You'd hate my
0: bike. Mine's like a mix of (laughs) turquoise and orange. Everything's (laughs) color matched. (laughs) That's Uh, what you
1: want to do. Go for it.
0: (laughs) Uh, Chris says, you mentioned it slightly earlier. Does it harm forks and shocks being inverted for a long period of time? So if you flick your bike over. Okay. No, not at all. Cool. That's the answer. might harm your good. brakes
1: i i would never turn a bike upside down just you- because i mean it, no matter what brake system you have you're always going to have a little pocket of air in the master cylinder even if you've just bled them you flip it upside down it's just going to try to migrate farther down towards the caliper and then be harder so
0: yeah of course okay uh where are we i've already answered the next one uh james says how important is it to balance the front and rear suspension uh you've answered that already very important i think is what you would yeah. say but the follow-up yeah. to that what's the best way to do that set tag. yeah yeah Perfect. it's super basic We've done good with this interview because most of these questions we have answered. Okay, this one we've not talked about yet. I'm interested in your views on this, actually. Neil says, what are your thoughts on the ShockWiz device and other similar ones on the market? Do they work or are they a gimmick? Do they work? Uh,
1: They do what they were intended to do. Would I use one? Absolutely not. I think for... Some people on very, very basic flat trails, they could be okay, but they give very conflicting information if you ride different types of trails and they have no idea about incline or decline and can give pretty random advice. Okay, you so, answered that
0: very nicely politically. Good work. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no. Like, there's better and better data act systems coming out that are more and more user-friendly, but still fully functioning.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, there's a friend of mine that's been doing that motion instrument setup that's coming out. It's far more involved than this, the other couple that are out there, but it works. And it's, it's a true data acquisition system but it still works through the phone. And if, if you're technically inclined and want to fuss around, that's the way to go.
0: Yeah, that's a great answer. I think a lot of people would have known. I know I didn't know about that sort of thing coming out. So yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. Um, similar question in regards to products. Two more. Andy says, what are your views on Kushcore and other similar rim protector slash in-tire systems?
1: Uh, I am a huge fan as far as they are faster, there's no question. Um, a lot of people are even riding them for XC and gravel and things like that. I haven't quite adapted to riding them on my home tracks. Be- we do a lot of pedaling. And we're able to ride XO type casings here. While it's, it's quite steep and fast it's not incredibly sharp there's no sharp rocks as some roots but i still enjoy the feeling of a fast rolling bike Mm -hmm. if i was racing enduro or downhill there's probably no chance i would go without some type of insert
0: from Uh, and back
1: probably I think some of that will depend on the size of the rider as well and the type of the tire. Tires are catching up a little bit.
0: Yeah. But
1: more for the suspension action of the insert than the actual puncture protection. Um, Some of them allow you to ride on a flat, which is pretty critical for downhill. Yeah. Uh, But more than that, they stabilize the bike and they prevent some of that really harsh tire rebound so they track far better so yeah if you're if you want to go downhill fast i would recommend an
0: insert that's a great answer nice and so the final question well second to final question easing it off slightly gaz says what's the strangest thing you've been asked to do in the pits (laughs) should have emailed this question in advance I don't know. There's either one of two I... things happening right now. Either you're having lots of things pop in your head and you're deciding what you can say or you're struggling. No, <laughs> I,
1: I haven't been. I mean, honestly, for me, the strangest thing ever was to sign an autograph. And that's, I don't know if that sounds like a dickhead thing, but
0: I think it sounds the opposite.
1: I, I had, I was just like, what? <laughs> why
0: <laughs> Loic Brun is over there why you talk you to me yeah, exactly okay, I'm just
1: sitting
0: here covered in oil <laughs> well, that's nice that's a really nice answer uh, so the final question which I like to ask everybody who comes on the podcast and it's putting you on the spot is what's one final piece of advice slash thought you would like to end the podcast on that the people listening will find useful
1: Quit being dicks in forums. That's a great one. I like that. (laughs)
0: That's a really good one.
1: As I've been getting into this more and more and doing more and more online stuff, part of it is going on forums and answering questions. And people are truly horrible. I, I think a lot of times it's to a corporation that they see as this massive entity. What they don't realize is, and I, I talked about this with somebody else. Like at Fox, there's a huge brand and a company and lots of people have their fingers in it. But when you get down to that one product, there's not very many people involved. And it's a passion. Like mm-hmm. right? we're not doing this because we're getting rich or because, you know, we're trying to sell all this product. We're doing it because we love bikes. And I I ride with our head engineer, I ride with our test lab guys. They're all bike people and they are doing a lot of work to make sure this stuff works well. Yeah. And to get on a forum and instantly think you know better or you would have done it differently or you made a stupid choice
0: because you did this.
1: It's just it's just awful.
0: Yeah. Like, I no totally point. agree. Go I think it's almost like yeah, totally. It's almost like road rage, isn't it? When people are inside the car yeah. and they suddenly flitch into a different person. I think a lot of it is people don't know how to express the kind of emotions and they'll take it out in the worst possible way by shouting on social media. And I, I am, like, you've mentioned it yourself there, like it probably comes across as coming at Fox, but that's also you behind Fox. Yeah. So it's going to get you when it's talking about it. But I get the same thing with MTV Fitness as well, because obviously on Instagram and especially on Facebook, there's a large audience there. And oh, the amount yeah. of people who hurl abuse, and like I'll get insulted like people call my teeth and my jaw all the time and like <laughs> like you've got to laugh it off you've got to have a thick skin like you do. I think people like me and you because we're probably both quite self-confident like you could people can hurl abuse at me all day as long as my girlfriend thinks I'm good looking I'm fine <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly well- i think what they don't realize is like when people abuse say e-bikes for example or they call people in groups and things like that, that can have a real dent on someone's confidence and you know yeah. someone posts a video of somebody falling off the bike and then they're laughing at them in a group that can put somebody else off, off riding so for nah, sure. i think that's a really nice way to end
1: just what's the point why yeah. just think about it before you say it please
0: Yeah, I like it. That's perfect. Well, where can people go to find out more about you if they want to follow you, learn more about you? Where do you want to send them to?
1: Uh, You can check out the dialed account on YouTube. Uh, You can follow Ride Fox Bike. You can follow me if you want on Instagram. Um, Just try not to DM me unless you have a valid question. I get so many a day with the most pointless stuff.
0: What I'll do is I'll go back through this podcast, find all the things that irritate you, and send them to me every couple of days. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, Jordy, thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. And, Thanks, Matt. Uh, That was awesome. No, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Welcome.